So much going on, so much going on, so much going on. Do you ever feel like that? I do. Uh, welcome, greetings. Hope you're having a terrific day, whatever the day is. I hope it's going well. My name is Sean, and for the next 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to talk about how to live wisely and faithfully in this wonderful world that God has given to us, but also a world that we know is fallen and uh, replete with challenge. And so my hope and prayer is that at the end of this podcast, you'll feel encouraged and lifted up and have a little food for thought as uh, you move about the rest of your day. You know, this whole Royals thing, not Kansas City Royals, which is what I think about when I think about Royals, but like this Megan and Harry thing. Are you following that? I have to confess to you that I know almost nothing about the Royals. In fact, I have to confess also that I've always thought it was kind of odd that there's such a fascination with this family, especially over here in the U.S., but there is. And so I've been reading about Harry and Meghan. I have to tell you, I don't even know exactly who Harry and Meghan are. I guess I'd seen their pictures before, but now they're leaving the royal family. And of course, you know, I hear Harry and Meghan, I think, well, I don't know anybody under the age of 50 named Harry and over the age of 50 named Meghan. So they're this young couple, and I guess there's probably going to be a lot of Harry and Meghan's born now because people are going to love those names. But So they're this royal couple. He's a prince, and uh, they have decided to trade in their royalty and live, quote, normal lives. They'll never live normal lives. I don't know that they really want to do that. But it's interesting to me that they are willing to kind of give up a lot of privilege and give up a lot of power and give up a lot of fame and notoriety, but but that's what they're doing. And we're going to circle back to that because there's a text in Philippians chapter chapter 3, or ch- chapter 2, excuse me, where Paul talks about Jesus kind of trading in uh, all this all this power and all of this uh, influence and all of this everything that any thing or person could ever want and humbling himself. And so we're going to talk about humility and and using our position to our advantage rather than using our position to uh, benefit others. That's kind of where we're going today. So as you know, I I love football and uh, pro football. And living here in Cincinnati, you know, it's kind of tough to be a pro football fan for a lot of folks. And, um, but they're going to get a new quarterback, and that's exciting. There's something that annoys me about a former professional football team. It's the 1972 NFL Dolphins. They are the last undefeated team in the Super Bowl era. In fact, they're the only undefeated team in the Super Bowl era. And every year, players who are still living from that team, they're all getting old now, we all are, from that undefeated team that won the Super Bowl, will gather together after the last undefeated NFL team loses. And they'll have a big champagne toast. In other words, uh, once they realize their record still stands, that they are still the, quote, greatest of all time, they'll all get together and they'll pour some champagne and they'll toast it and it's videoed. And they celebrate the defeat of the last undefeated team. And I can't tell you why. That just annoys me a little bit. Uh, they want to go down as being the greatest of all time. And, and can, here's where I am on that. I like to witness greatness and I like to witness history. And so I would like to see another team go undefeated. But they don't want to do that. They want their record to always stand. And I contrast that with a man named Mark Spitz. Now, those of you who've been around for a while will rec- recognize his name. 
as an Olympic swimmer. In 1972, Mark Spitz won seven gold medals, the most gold medals ever won in a single Olympic game. And it was said that that record would never be broken. But 36 years later in Beijing in the Olympic Games, a man named Michael Phelps won eight gold medals and broke Mark Spitz's record. You would think that Mark Spitz would be like the 1972 Dolphins and bummed that his record was broken, but he wasn't. Here's what he said in an interview. Quote, I am glad that I was alive to see it broken. In other words, I was glad that someone else could experience what I have experienced in my life. He was humble enough to not want to go down as the greatest of all time, but to, to see someone else experience that kind of greatness. We're going we're gonna to be in Philippians chapter 2, as I mentioned today. And if you're not familiar with Philippians, it was written by a man named Paul, who wrote many of the New Testament letters. And he was writing to a church in Philippi, a group of believers in Jesus whom he loved. And he wrote the letter when he was in prison, I'm going to say between 65 and 70 AD, just before the fall of Jerusalem. And if you ever attend Crestview Presbyterian Church or watch our worship services online, we've talked about that in recent weeks, the fall of Jerusalem. Philippi was a Roman colony, and Paul wrote to them for three reasons. One, he wanted to give an update on what was going on with him. Hey, this is where I am in life. I'm in jail, but it's okay. He also wanted to thank them for their support and finally encourage and teach them about how to do life together. And that's where I want to land with you in this podcast. Uh, our country this weekend is observing Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And so there's a, there's a hyper-focus and awareness on the racial divide that still exists in different places in this country. And there's a, a focus on the different isms that we experience that divide us. Race-ism, sex-ism, and class-ism. And here's what you and I know. When we as an individual or a group of people elevate ourself above others, it creates an environment where it's difficult to engage and relate. And that's what an ism is. It's one person or one group feeling, to, feeling superior to another for whatever reason. And that's not just a, an American thing. That's not just a 21st century thing. That is timeless. You know, the attitude that prioritizes my value, my ego, my worth over that of others has gone on for centuries. And it was very common in Jesus's day as well. There were clear lines drawn between people because of their family, because of their social status, because of their nationality. People wanted to feel superior. <laughs> there was a great story in the, uh, in the New Testament in Luke chapter 9 where the disciples we're having a conversation. So they've been walking with Jesus, and now they're having this debate among themselves. And here's what the passage reads, Luke chapter 9, verse 46. Quote, Then an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Can you imagine that? A bunch of guys sitting around in a circle. They've been with the, the ruler of the universe, the Messiah, and they're having a conversation. Yeah, you know, who's the greatest in this room? I think I am. No, I think I am. It was so emblematic of human nature. We just have this, this drive and this urge to see ourselves as superior to others around us. Paul, when writing to the Philippians, he had this in mind. 
I, because he knew that that was detrimental and so harmful to a religious body, a, a church. And so he wrote this in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, quote, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so when he says, therefore, of course, that's always looking back on a previous statement. And this previous statement was about people conducting themselves in a matter, manner worthy of the gospel. And then he emphasized, okay, so I want you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then he emphasized they were united with Christ and they shared a common experience of God's spirit together. They were together with Christ and together with one another. So he's setting the stage there. All right, you're together and you want to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. And then he moves on and says, well, here's what you do then. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and in purpose. Now do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And I'm stuck as I read that on the theme of mind, you know, being like-minded, your attitude. You know, that's a theme of Paul's letter to the Philippians. In, in chapter one, he talked about developing our knowledge and insight. In chapter three, set your mind not on earthly things, Chapter 4, may the peace of God guard your heart and your mind. In our chapter, he's talking about the mindset of Christ Jesus. I believe that our mindset, your mindset, my mindset, is a primary factor in determining how we relate to one another. You know, who we think we are and who we think the other person is, is central to how we get along with each other and how we relate to one another. I was reading not too long ago an article that quoted a story from Forbes magazine about people's self-image. And here's the, here's the quote. Well, let me, let's do this in the form of a question, shall we? Guess the percentage of American men who consider themselves to be either genius or near genius. So how many of us guys who are listening to this podcast think, you know, I'm a genius or I'm pretty close to it. The answer is 50%. <laughs> Guys, no matter how you and I find define genius, there's no way that half of us qualify unless we really, really set the bar low. Incidentally, 30% of all women do. But the point is, a lot of us have a skewed vision of ourself. And because this vision is skewed, we tend to err on the side of thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. And Paul wants the church to know you're not better than each other, you're better with each other. And so the mindset of Christ, first of all, is that of humility. But then he goes on and really describes it in more depth. He says this, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. In other words, he was like, you know, he is God. He is the very nature of God. But he didn't just hang on to that. He didn't use that to his advantage. I'm thinking about Harry and Megan, or Megan and Harry. You know, they, they, they did not consider, they do not consider uh, their advantage because they're royal family 
as something they're going to hold on to. They're going to give that up. And that's what Jesus did, of course, in a much grander and more significant way. He was in the very nature of God, didn't hold on to it. Let me ask you a question. Who doesn't use their gifts, their position, and their power to their advantage? We all do. I mean, that just does not compute. We leverage our gifts. We leverage our position. We leverage our power for our advantage. We just do that. I, you know, I, I lead a congregation, and I'm always looking around thinking, what are the gifts that are in front of me, and how can we leverage those gifts for the advantage of this congregation? And, of course, you, you look at the story of human, human history. I go all the way back to the Old Testament, the days of King Ahab. He had a 20-year reign of corruption and terror that we read about in the Old Testament. And you think, how does a guy like that get to become king and stay king? Well, his dad Omri was king before him. And so he took that position, Ahab did, and used it for his advantage, his position and his power. And so the, the, one of the, the ideas here that Paul's giving us is that when you and I look at the people around us, we're not thinking, what can he or she do for me? How can my ego be stroked? How can my worth and my agenda for my life be advanced by him or her? On the contrary, we look at Christ and we recognize what he did. Jesus said, or Paul said about Jesus in verse 7 of Philippians 2, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. What, what Jesus did was essentially emptied himself. To make himself nothing means to empty yourself. Who does that in life? It's, it's counterintuitive for us, but that's what God calls us to do. God calls us to empty ourselves and think about the needs of the people around us more than our own needs. And that's a tough one. St. Augustine, or St. Augustine, however you want to pronounce it, once wrote that pride is chief among all sins. Pride is the, that's number one. Why is pride such a, such a huge sin? Well, it closes us off to God and closes, closes us off to one another. And so to all of us, when we start looking at our lives, I think we're encouraged to ask, um, do I want to do more and be more for myself, or do I want to do more and be more for others? Being Christ-like is being humble. And being humble, emptying ourselves, not using our position, our power, and our gifts for our advantage that's not wimpy, and that's not weak, and that's not soft, and that's not passive. No. Humility, being Christ-like, is about using our advantages, again, gifts, power, position, for the benefit of others. Remember, if you've ever heard this podcast before, humility, humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. And so a takeaway as I kind of wrap this up, is that as you think about being Christ-like and having the mind of Christ, not using your gifts, power, and position for your own benefit, but rather emptying yourself and being a servant, maybe today find some small thing and intentionally empty yourself. 
Maybe you're going to be waiting in line at a grocery store, a bank, or a restaurant. Maybe you're just going to be out driving in traffic. Or maybe you're going to be in the presence of someone who seems to be a little down, who needs to be engaged. Whatever that might be for you today, a small step in becoming more Christ-like and developing the mind of Christ is to just do those little things and empty yourself. And as we do that, then greater opportunities for service will come about. And so there's a little food for thought today on this rainy Saturday here in Cincinnati, Ohio. I hope you have a terrific day. I hope that uh, you experience the fullness of what God wants you to experience today, that you find great joy in Him, and I will look forward to being together again next time.